to get one i'm like um let's wait because we only get we're on a network now we only get paid once a month i'm like let's wait until well i tell <laughs> these you what new checks come in. i tell you what if you know if it's feasible um you can use my space here if ever you need it you know and that is so sweet thank you very much <laughs> just fyi so yeah he can <laughs> You're like, you know what? I know one guy that'll let us borrow the roadcaster. We just have to go to Bernie. <laughs> My partner and I usually, um, we're recording after this actually, but we just since the pandemic, all online now. And this is how we do it over FaceTime. Well, we're on Zoom, but we do, we FaceTime each other and we just record our opposite ends and. Yeah, no, it's. You know, it's, send them to the editor. It's really great. So I used, um. I used the pandemic. I like filled up my car at the time. I had a mm-hmm. car. It was a really small Corolla hatchback and all my Tetris skills from years of playing Tetris paid off because I filled that car with the roadcaster, uh, like three cameras, nice, uh, some tripods, a video switcher. There's one day, um, so my wife does academic advising at UC Riverside, and I had multiple cameras set up on her as I was practicing the switcher. Uh, she's like, "This is <laughs> what, what are I, wives for, right? <laughs> right?" She's like, "Great, this is what you're doing." I'm like, "Look, I, this is how I prepare for work. You might have a different hey, way of doing it, but yeah." She has it easy because uh, my husband's a paramedic, and so when he was in paramedic school, yeah, he was learning how to um, like draw blood and, and you know insert needles. And so he would just come home and like start, I'd be sitting at the counter or whatever in the kitchen. He'd come home and like start tapping on my veins on like my hand (laughs) or he'd like look at my, like the creak of my elbow, start tapping there. He like tried my forehead once. I mean, he didn't put a needle in, but I'm like, stop doing that. This is very concerning to me. (laughs) (laughs) You're claiming that you're in school for this, but how do I know you don't have other things you're doing? So for real, like, am I married to Dexter? Right. <laughs> right. I, I mean, that's where my mind goes. <laughs> uh, so Natalie and I met, uh, I was starting the MFA program at Fullerton and you were in your last year. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, I was there for two years. I, I graduated in 2014. Yeah. And then, uh, then, yeah, so we were, they mixed, they would mix. And so why don't you tell us about yourself, Natalie? All right. Uh, my name's Natalie. Uh, I went to UCLA for my undergraduate where I earned an English degree. And I was one of those kids that, when I say kids, I mean like a young adult, that all I did was go to class. I worked on the yearbook. I, you know, I just did what I had to do and I didn't go to parties at all. I think I went to one my whole career, college career. And I was scheduled to finish college early, like six months early. Oh, you're and I, but I was sad about it because I liked <laughs> school and yeah. I want it to stay longer and I want it to, um, be with my friends. So I convinced my parents who were bankrolling the whole thing 
hey, can I stay for one more quor- like quarter? Right. Postgraduate and they're like, time. They were like, well, I mean, do you need to? And I said, no, but there are a few classes that I'm interested in. And one of those classes was screenwriting, intro to screenwriting with Richard Walter, who was the head of the UCLA screenwriting program for many years. Yeah. And through that class, I met some great people. Um, one of my TA actually, she wrote for Silicon Valley after, you know, I had graduated from UCLA. She ended up being an executive producer for, um, I can't think of the, what, um, what is her name? It was like the diary of the black, awkward black girl. And then it became something with Liz, what is her name? This now, sounds so dumb. Now you're I hope you me look it up on, on IMDb. Um, oh, I'm using my phone. We're all. What's her yeah, name? This is what we do. It's like Joe Rogan. They just like pull stuff up randomly. Or, yeah. Or it's like, Dax will do this too. Like, what is it? Harold. We get to be our own research people when when I you're an know. independent podcast. Oh, insecure. Duh. Insecure. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So she ended up being an exec producer on there and she taught me a lot he taught me a lot and I had always been pretty creative growing up I um I did theater I I think you can relate to that um and I was always writing these little stories even when we would go on vacation like we would go to Morongo and there's a lazy river there I would make up stories about all the other tourists or people along the route you know it was it was just something that felt so much a part of me telling stories so when I heard or realized I guess that you could write for tv and film which is silly because it just had never occurred to me I realized like this is where I was meant to be yeah and then um I had a lot going on in just my personal life um you know, I had a, a death of a very, very close loved one. I had a lot of um, health issues. So when I heard that Cal State Fullerton was opening up or starting their own MFA program in screenwriting, I thought this is probably the only way I can do it because I don't want to be far from home. Yeah. And when I enrolled, it just felt like this is where I was meant to be. Uh, fast forward to graduation. I started at um days of our lives i worked in the soap opera industry i worked there for four years and then i created my own um web series i uh you know co-wrote co-directed co-produced all of that i even did a little um like cameo because i'm not one to be on camera yeah um So, yeah. And then I kind of have, I'm always looking for ways to tell a story and um, do it on my terms. So I think that I'm able to, I don't know, adapt whenever I have a crazy idea that I think is worth pursuing. And I have a lot of those crazy ideas and a true crime podcast seemed like the perfect venture. And I had met my co-host um on bumble bff because when you're in your 30s and you're married it's hard to meet 
you know, lady friends that <laughs> have the same um, interests as you. And the so Bumblebee was your, uh, that was the, that was the web series. I re- recall, right? Um, Boink was Boink the web was series. It. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And then, yeah. And then, um, Bumble BFFs is just an app to meet. It's like Tinder, but for friendship. Oh, that's what it, okay. That's what it was. Yeah. I mean, they have Bumble as the dating app and then they're like different one, um, categories that you can go. So you can be looking for friendship. You can actually use it for, um, your professional life. They have Bumble professional or whatever it's called. I haven't been on in like two years, but. Um, so you met your podcast yeah. partner. <laughs> I did. Bumble. And it turns out that That's awesome. she had a ton of mutual friends, um, high school friends of mine. And she even knew my high school boyfriend. So it was really funny because we ended up growing up down the street from one another. So it was really kismet. Like we were meant to meet each other and start our business. It's really, it's really odd. That you say that uh, about your, your partner, we'll get into that but uh somebody i teach with here at valley we would talk about and and you worked with them because uh natalie helped me on a short film we finally got done uh i blame COVID. so exciting i blame covid for that uh the yeah the post-production stall so kevin Lyons, who teaches with me here we would we started talking when i first started and he's like oh you know this person i know that person like in the venn diagram of things we were almost in the center but never met until we came it's here that whole six degrees of kevin Lyons instead right. of <laughs> kevin bacon <laughs> right yeah well no it's just it's another example the world gets smaller as i think you get you get older somehow it's interesting but you were saying about how this kind of this creative stuff the storytelling was always in your blood um mm-hmm. in essence and it made me think about as you were saying that the first script i ever wrote not very many people know this, but now the world potentially will. Uh, I did my, I didn't know what it was called at the time. I was a big Magnum PI fan growing up as a kid and I'd watch uh-huh. the reruns religiously. So I wrote my own <laughs> script of, of a Magnum PI episode. That's no, awesome. It was on like just regular notebook paper, me and a buddy that we were a big fan of it. We just like came up with a story for Magnum, a Magnum PI episode. I had no idea at the time that I was writing a spec, you know, no, there's no, but see it, it these um this need or this like um compulsion to tell stories is just in some people's yeah you know blood like you said so i even i mean yeah, i even sense. did i even did with my brother we we would write our own comic books from time to time like it, it's, it's it's interesting when i reflect back on getting into that program i actually am writing a comic book right now well a graphic novel so nice (laughs) nice it it's really um storytelling can be applied to so many different avenues it's incredible um to see what people do with it i you're exactly right and these are conversations i have all the time with other faculty members and counselors here at the at my where i teach is it's not just, you know, I'm under no, you know, illusion, delusions, if you will, that all of my students that are in a community college are going to end up making movies. But I know they're going to get a skill set from it that they can use anywhere. And so uh, 
You're right. It's like you can use storytelling anywhere. As I run into people that are arts majors, and they end up, you know, theater majors end up doing PR work or teaching, and it's, it's crazy where we all end up at. But I think that it's all. But if you look at it, it's all this compulsion to tell a story. Um, and you know, we all end up where we were meant to be because who knew I would be telling stories weekly about true crime, um, you know, giving the voices back to the victims. I just, it's always been, um, an interest of mine, but who knew I would end up there. So the road is really twisty and turny, but you end up where you're supposed to be. So speaking of your, your murder podcast. So what's the, what's the name of the show? So everybody knows we get the quick plug out there. Um, my podcast is called the murder diaries and we're really victim focused. So our stories never tell, we never tell our stories from the killer's perspective. So you won't ever catch us with an episode titled Ted Bundy or, you know, um, the night stalker. We don't do that. What we do is we focus on the victims who lost their lives too soon. And, um, we tell it from their perspective. We talk about who they were as people before this horrible thing happened to them, because even that's missing in the true crime community. Like a lot of times you'll hear a story about a person the day that they died. Well, they were people before that. Right. Who were they? Oh, what, what did they have going on in their lives? And so we think that's really important to do. And we've met a lot of people by doing this podcast who have lost loved ones who have experienced the most horrific thing that you can imagine in their own lives. And I think that's opened our eyes to a lot of the injustices and um, the work that still needs to be done in victim advocacy. And, but it's definitely been a learning process too. I can't say that we, have been perfect every step of the way, but um, you, we've definitely grown. Did you start like, where was your starting point? I mean, I, we joked before we started recording. It was like, why murder? So like, where, um, where, where was your starting point in like figuring out what this thing would be? I think a lot of people, myself included, and my partner were inspired by Karen and Georgia of my favorite murder. Those are my you wife's know, we favorites. Had, yeah. I mean, they have a, a great dynamic and um, an ability to tell stories that are engaging. And that was one of the first things that Paige and I, that's my partner Paige, um, talked about when we met. But we also knew that we had to try and make our own imprint on the true crime community. So we took what we learned from Karen and Georgia. I mean, I've never met them, but just from years of listening and consuming their product. And we put our own spin on things. Did you, have you found uh, that in researching more of the victim on it, has there been some connections between the victims at all um, that stand out or does it, does one, what you think is going to be one episode, does it turn into multiple episodes on the same person? We haven't done one on multi. We have, we haven't 
covered one person in multiple episodes just because usually, and this is really sad, but it's hard to find information on these people's lives. Um, and there are certain people who get even less coverage than most. One example that happened recently was the Gabby Petito case. We're very fortunate that she was active on social media and, um, you know, really was capturing a lot of her life leading up to the end of it. And with her case, we were able to, you know, talk really in depth about who she was as a person from our research, but there are other people who just don't have that information out there. And so that's like, it's disheartening. Um, but I mean, that's why we feel like we're doing something good by telling these stories. So at least what we can find is out there and their stories can still continue to be told. What was the impetus? There's a section of your, your all series, uh, mean girls. Where, where did that, where did that come? Where was the point? Where was the inspiration on that one? section of them. I, there's a few of them i think yeah uh, we try and do them every um october around october 3rd because that's mean girls day if you didn't know <laughs> no um, i didn't you want to explain what mean girls day i've never heard mean this. girls day okay so if you're a millennial woman like myself and my my podcast partner I you were obsessed with mean girls when it came out and it was really a part of our like film canon growing up. Right, right. And there's a line in the movie where Lindsay Lohan's um, character is in love with, you know, Aaron Samuels or whatever his name is. He turns around in math class because they sat next to each other in math class and he asks her what day it is and she says, it's October 3rd. And it was such a big moment for her character <laughs> because the man she was in love with talk to her. Uh, and so, I don't know, it's become a meme over the years. And um, we just kind of ran with it. Our, um, our Instagram is pretty colorful compared to, I, there's a big, um, like, I want to say contrast between the topics we talk about and our online presence. We, don't ever include pictures of the killers. We don't, um, we want it to be a place where people go and find inspiration and things like that. So we had done a couple mean girls memes or artwork. And we thought, you know what, there are a ton of cases where girls and women like ourselves have been targeted by people. They thought they were their friends. And we thought, well, we could do it on Mean Girl Day and around Mean Girl Day and just kind of show the nasty side of being a girl. I, I think that's, uh, well, it's really cool, too, because you're, you're, you're using another media to connect it. And I think that's, that's really interesting. Um, I was looking up. Yeah, it, you're. So that goes into kind of the marketing of it, I think, is like, what what have you picked up as far as what you need to do to kind of get your audience up? What are things that are helping to build audience? 
you know, there's a lot of things you can do to build an audience that I think the most important is to be authentic to who you are because followers, listeners can smell it from a mile away. If you're being inauthentic, they know if you're shitting them with what you're saying, if you're bullshitting them, they, they can smell it. They know. So I think the thing that's helped us the most is to be who we are. And, um, it's been working. So, uh, about your partner that you met on an app, which mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of goes against the whole um, personal safety that you learn as like a primary tenant of the true crime right. uh, community. But right. <laughs> it happened. I actually took my husband with us. Well, that's, well see, but that doesn't go against it, right? Like you need to bring somebody with and <laughs> to the meeting. So that's smart. Uh, what is the conversation that you all have and you say, you know, let's do a podcast about murders. What leads to that moment? I, it was one of those things where we had been talking about stories that Karen and Georgia had covered or stories that we had read about on our own on Reddit or elsewhere. And we realized if these people could do it, why can't we? Yeah. Uh, let's tell it the way we want it, want these stories to be told. What was your first episode and what was that like doing your first episode? Oh God. I'm trying to think our first episode isn't live anymore. And I, <laughs> no, I'm serious. We, right. we, um, removed about six months worth of material. And we've talked about this on the podcast just briefly. We acknowledge that we've grown so much as podcasters and, um, storytellers and people in the true crime community that we felt that it wasn't a reflection of who we are now. And I think that's a really important um, aspect of being a creative person or a storyteller in general to acknowledge, you know, where you've come from and how far you've gone and acknowledge that what you made in the past is, isn't always true to who you are currently and it sounds like very um hippie like well, or whatever that, but I, no you're right because it's it's I, there's work that i've done i never want to see again because yeah because i think too when you're starting off on anything creative it's so it, it's so much of your emblem your there's another word i should find but it was a long it was a long night of running an event last night so i'm a little hazy <laughs> but you're it's so indicative of other stuff that you've been inspired by. And so when you go back and watch it or listen to it again, it's like, well, I just really just ripped something off completely. <laughs> and I wasn't being, yeah. as you said, my authentic self in it. And I think that's always the goal of, of any creative is like finding that authentic voice. That's so true. And we actually um, re-recorded an episode that was one of the first six months um, episodes last week and at the beginning we say like this is a true reflection of our voice now we found our voice and that's why we owe it to this victim to retell her story with the respect and dignity that she deserves and with um you know our skill set now that we have as podcasters oh that's Great. Uh, what would you say is what is there an episode that you would a 
If somebody asked, where's the best place to get started with my podcast? Where, where should we start? I'd say always at the most recent, <laughs> just because <laughs> every week we get better and better. I actually covered, um, the murder of Christina Grimmie. She was a singer who appeared on the third season of The Voice. She was 22 years old. Oh, wow. And I'm really proud of that episode. Um, I think we gave her a place for her voice to shine, you know, even now, five years after her death. And I'm grateful for our editor for working so hard on it. And I think... Um, yeah, it shows, it showcases her life um, as much more than just her death. How many, how much time do you spend doing your research before you guys get up there and start recording? A week, at least. At least for me, I'm not really sure how Paige does hers. I, at, for, for me, I have a million tabs open. I mean, it's kind of like how my brain works too. I will start a story or, you know, research on one case and then um, three days into it, I move on to the next one. And so I kind of keep these open tabs and open, you know, word documents and I work on them, um, as you know, as I find new information or I'm led back to that case. But like, if I were to encapsulate all the time, the amount of hours that it takes, it would probably be like a week. Yeah, so over 40 hours of research before you go do an hour podcast, essentially. Yeah, I mean, it takes us longer now that we're trying to do. Right, I'm sure. I think we record for like an hour and a half, two hours. Because I think there's, with certain folks, there's this this, uh, thought of like, well, just show up and start talking. But it's like, if you haven't done any sort of, you know, it's like what you're saying about the screenwriting part of it. You know, students come in to me all the time like, well, just, I'm like, no, you have to like do your research. Yeah, I mean, well, that's why you have an outline. That's why you have a draft. That's why you have, you know, multiple revisions. The finished product, the shining piece of, you know, dialogue that you can present to people is a, an accumulation of hours and hours of work. Out of the, out of the, Right. It's never just, <laughs> so we just, yeah, we just got done. Uh, for those that are listening, by the time you hear this, we will finished uh, running the Inland Empire 48 hour film competition. And we, my partner and I were talking about that and it's this thought of what happens, what we've noticed with certain folks that do that is like, Oh, look, I just did this in 48 hours. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's a specialized thing. So people that don't know, they think, well, I can just write something really quick. I'm like, eh, I can just prep it really and, you quick. Know, you know, maybe there are people that can do it, but they're the exception to the rule. Yeah, for sure. Um, so how how is this, how is the other platforms you've done, whether it's working in soap opera, which in a way... <laughs> I, I see a connection here just because of the <laughs> over dramaticism of a soap opera and how we think about, about it. But then uh, your web series that you did, how, how did these things like inform where you're at now as a storyteller? That's a good question. Um, I know I'm full of good questions. It's Friday. 
<laughs> so time. many good I ones. Have, I've had time to think um, about this. You know, I think working on a soap opera definitely gave me an insight to how that part of the industry works. Um, I got to meet a lot of great people that I am still friends with today. And, but I don't know if it would be something I would ever go back to. It's different working day to day on a project that's not yours, that you're a small cog in a big machine. And, you know, that's, it works for a lot of people, but I feel like I want to have a bigger say in the stories I tell and how they're told. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that story writing is not a collaborative process because it absolutely is. I'm just saying that it's nice to be um, the person deciding what's told and what's not. So you're just, yeah. Driving your oh, sorry. own. No, no, it's fine. No, I'm sorry. It's just kind of driving your own uh, story along the way. So I was go mm-hmm. ahead. Yeah. And it seems like then you're you go into a web series, and so what I'm seeing is the serialization of it. The the long form platform is something that connects between the three. Yeah, it, oh, that's a good point. Um, one of the things I realized um, when I first met up with my partners to do boink um was that this generation and the generation you know following us we have really short attention spans and so our goal was to get shorter episodes and um a bulk of episodes where they could binge and that's kind of what we've done with the podcast and with boink but yet though it's easy to say that they have shorter, we have shorter attention spans. I think as a Gen Xer, we even fall into that a little bit. At least I do. That's part of my ADHD. <laughs> That's ADHD more than anything. But, but then we'll just soak up nine hours of content without even mm-hmm. batting an eye. You know, so it's like, do we have short attention spans, or are we were we always looking for really good content? Yeah. You know, I don't have the answer to that, but that's a really great insight. It could be a little bold. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think we like jumping back and forth from. It's it's nice to be able to go and, and like suck yourself into something. And then like what my wife and I will do is like, all right, now we need the comfort food of TV and let's just watch Parks yes. and Rec for nine, nine weeks and nine days in a row or whatever it is. Um, but it's but we're focused. So I I push back a little bit on that because it's easy to go. They have shorter attention spans. I'm like, you're sucking up hours and hours of content. You have to be paying attention to something, and especially with something with podcasts where it's like you can multitask. You know, it's like I'll mow yeah. the lawn or I'll clean up something in the backyard or wash my car while I got a podcast on. Uh, we get so many messages about that. Actually, you know, I listen to your podcast while I'm driving to work. I listen to it, um, you know, washing dishes or doing laundry, and it's flattering that someone would want to hear <laughs> our voice while they're doing the mundane things of life. But um, sometimes it helps, you know, um, you tune out of the boringness of you know, 
that well, stuff. I think what it is too is like you're that part of your brain's like not engaged in anything, so you can like do like serious mm-hmm. listening because you're just doing kind of motor skills at that point. So it's like oh, I got <laughs> I have space in my my brain somewhere to to listen to something. Where do you see like do you you know? So you're talking about uh, the murder. Georgia and why am I always blank? But if Sarah was here, my wife, she'd hit me because I can't remember both their names. Georgia and oh, Karen. Karen. So, well, Karen, I think was in, involved in that documentary that Pat Oswalt was in on. Yes. Um, but they, you know, so where Michelle do you see, McNamara? Yeah, his you, wife, yeah, late wife. Yeah, she wrote the. So where do you see? Do you see other media opportunities based off of this show right now or just focused on really building this thing out? We are definitely, we're always interested in seeing where we can take um, our victim advocacy. Like we've talked about, should we start a nonprofit? Um, Should we do this and that? we're not really sure. We just know that we're intent on growing this to as big as possible. We actually just signed with a network in August and that was our goal from day one. So it took two years almost exactly to get there. And now that we're there, we're already dreaming up where we're going to be. How did you, know, you get in six months in a year? So my students are going to ask me like, how do, how do they, how do they get to this? where they get a deal and they're making money off of it. You know, that's, that's the magic number. It's, it's all about downloads, getting your, your um, podcast out there. And like I said, it's about being authentic to who you are and reaching people that relate to it because you know, you could have 20,000 followers on Instagram and you know, that's a lot to me, but that's not a lot to most people, you know, like in the industry, but if, 18,000 of those 20,000 are bots or they could care less about what you post, then it doesn't matter. You, it would be better to have a smaller group of people follow you and engage with you and really enjoy your product. Um, and so, yeah, it did take us two years to build an audience to get us to where we're at. And once we got those numbers up, um, we were ranking in the charts on, you know, like, uh, the United States charts and international charts. And that's when we started getting emails of, of networks and other people wanting to represent us. That's great. Yeah. I, I think you hit the, everyone's always looking for the magic bullet with this stuff. Uh, I, I did a panel conversation with Dan Petrie jr. There I name drop. Sorry, but he wrote Beverly Hills cop <laughs> And I remember we got in a conversation about, you know, people would ask me how I did X, Y, and Z for certain projects. And he's like, that's it. They think there's a magic trick. There's, there's going to be this one thing and it's just, it's time and it's uh, knowing you're being true to yourself. I think those are, I, I think that's great um, to, to leave my audience with is just thinking like, be true to yourself and give it time. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would add that a lot of people think that it's an over, hold on. A lot of people think that 
you can become an overnight success. And there are people that are able to do that. But a lot of the up and coming true crime podcasts that started out when we did, they're non-existent now because people got frustrated that they weren't getting the downloads that they thought right away. Or, you know, they realized it is a lot of work. It takes time and it, it is a second job for those people that have the nine to five. Yeah. And so I think part of our, I don't want to call it longevity because that feels like silly to call two years um, long, but compared to some of the other podcasts that um, started when we did, um, we have that longevity. We stuck around and we put in the work and the time and that's really important too. Are you doing anything else? Are you writing still or have any I other... am. So I freelance on the side Sweet. and I've actually written um, fictional stories for other podcasts. Um, and, you know, I do stuff like that, but I feel like I always want to tell my story, you know, like stories that um, inspire me. So, I'm really trying to make this um, a full-time thing, like legit full-time. And I think we're pretty close. I, I think that's great. And I I don't normally put titles on each show, but if I put a title on this, it's Telling My Story with Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thanks again for hanging out today. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Ah, it's... You're probably going to help me more than I am going to you, so because you got more followers, <laughs> so it's totally cool. But uh, my students will appreciate it, uh, and uh, eventually we'll we'll have the official screening of the short, and then someday I'll rewrite the feature which I've been working on, which I said I was going to work on. And I can't wait. You're so talented as a director and a writer. I know that <laughs> it's going to be awesome. No, I'm serious, Thanks. or else I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't have. I don't know, attached my name, you know, like been a part of it. Yeah, no, it was, so I, I believe in you. It was fun. It was fun. Um, to say the least. So anyway, thanks again, uh, Natalie. Appreciate yeah. it today. And, uh, be sure. Can to... I plug my yes, please. Um, oh, thing really quick? Oh, please. For sure. <laughs> Sorry. I was just getting I'm a micro influencer now. No, Lucas. You, you, you have to, you have to. All right. So if you're interested in listening to the murder diaries, we're available on Instagram at the murder diaries pod. We're available on Apple podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Go listen. I would suggest you listen from the most recent on down, but anywhere you start is a good place. So, yep. So check out the murder diaries <laughs> with Natalie and Paige. Who she met on Bumblebee. Bumble BFF. Bumble BFF. <laughs> That's I think that could be the title for the show. Find your partner on Bumble BFF. <laughs>